0: On today's show, I will discuss two teams the Mets should be on the phone with to make a trade this offseason. You are Locked On Mets, your daily New York Mets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello to all you amazing Mets fans, you're listening to Locked On Mets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you for making Locked On Mets your first listen every day. Locked On Mets is free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. On the show today, I'm breaking down a couple of teams the Mets could be on the phone with to make trades this offseason. The first segment, we'll talk about the Boston Red Sox, and the second and third segments, I have a couple of players the Mets could be interested in on the Chicago White Sox roster. Before we get to any of that, though, I'm your host, Ryan Fickelstein. If you want to find any of my work, follow me on X at Ryan. You can also find some of my writing at justbaseball.com, where I work as the managing editor. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. It's $150 if your team wins at FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to get started. Now, I've spent the last couple of hours going through the payroll of each team on track, trying to find big salaries that the Mets could potentially trade for and trying to find teams who would want to deal with the Mets. Because I really think at this stage in the offseason, there's as good of a chance that the Mets are going to make some trades as there is that they're going to make some big signings. This market is moving so slow in free agency, and we've seen a lot of teams resort to the trade market to try to make some deals and, you know, accent their rosters. And some teams have been doing a lot of, you know, MLB for MLB swaps. And the latest one is the Braves trade with the Red Sox. While Vaughn Grisham still technically a prospect or at least not a fully established big leaguer, you know, he's going to slot into the Red Sox lineup this year and you know, the Braves get Chris sale out of the deal. So we've seen a lot of different moves that are like that. And so I was trying to find a couple of teams that the Mets could trade with to potentially address their roster a little bit further, sort of similar to the trade they made with the Brewers already to get Adrian Hauser and Tyrone Taylor, guys that are not necessarily going to change the fortune of the Mets, but as a team that's maybe going into a year where they're trying to give the young guys a shot and, and see what they have in house, but they also want to be competitive they, they just need some innings eaters, some guys that sort of raise the floor. So I, I wanted to find some opportunistic trades the Mets could make where they could leverage the fact that they're willing to take on some salary to get some players that can fill some needs. So the two teams I came up with were the Boston Red Sox and the Chicago White Sox. And we're going to begin with the Red Sox because there was a big development. <laughs> there was a story, I don't really know, uh, you know who put it out, but I saw it making waves on, on X – or Twitter, where it appears like the Red Sox are still interested in the starting pitching market, and they've told some top-tier free agent starting pitcher, I'd imagine Jordan Montgomery, that they might need a clear salary to be able to sign him. And This is after they already signed Lucas Giolito to that contract that's going to pay him $18 million this season. Now The reason why they need to cut salary is because there might be a mandate from ownership to keep that payroll right around where it was last year at $225 million, which is below the luxury tax. So then you go to the Red Sox page on Track, you try to find the big salaries, and a lot of people connect the dots between the Mets and Kenley Jansen, guy that has been one of the best closers in baseball for over a decade now. He's been unbelievable. And he's going to make $16 million next season. So a lot of people thought, hey, maybe the Mets take on $12 million of that salary, and they have a setup man for Edwin Diaz. Now, that all so- sounds fine and well, right? Jansen was good last year, pitched to a 3.63 ERA. Now, uh, 2022, pitching in the NL East for the Braves, he pitched to a 3.38 ERA. Here's the one issue with trading for Kenley Jansen how happy is he going to be if he's not the closer? Because I feel like he's signed with the Boston Red Sox because they told him he could be their closer. I, I think that's what happened. And Maybe in the same thing when he was in free agency last time with the Braves. Now he's getting paid $16 million and he doesn't have a no trade clause. So you can acquire him and tell him the eighth inning is his and we'll give you as many save opportunities as possible as you maybe share the duties with Edwin Diaz. There is a world where that works, but I really don't know if that's something that that Jansen would be happy with. Okay. He is sitting at 420 career saves. Three above Craig Kimbrell, two active leaders. Now, if you look at career leaders, he's only two saves behind Billy Wagner for the sixth spot all-time. He's four saves behind John Franco for the fifth spot all-time. And then he is 17 saves behind Francisco Rodriguez for the fourth spot all-time. So one more year as a closer somewhere, and he can slide all the way up into the top four all-time. And then he's got Lee Smith sitting at 478 saves where he could conceivably catch him in his career. And I would not doubt at all that Kenley Jansen is looking at 500 career saves. There's only been two pitchers who have ever gotten there and they actually went past. They got to 600 and that is Mariano Rivera at 652 and Trevor Hoffman at 601. He's not going to get that far, but he can get to 500. And so I just don't know if he's going to be happy coming to the Mets to be the eighth inning guy. And honestly, for one year, do the Mets really want to pay him, you know, if they take on the full salary, $16 million or, or $12 million when they could just take that money and bring it to David Robertson in free agency? Like, why not just give $12 million to David Robertson and say, come on back? Because I feel like he'd probably take that contract. That would be a two million dollar raise on the 10 million he got last year. And you know, you have a guy that's willing and comfortable taking that role, familiar with your organization. The Jansen thing doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but the Red Sox still needed to shave money. The guy that I think makes a lot of sense is Nick Pavetta. If they're trying to sign Jordan Montgomery and they already have Lucas Giolito in their rotation and they got Brian Bayo and they got a couple other guys, you know, Cutter Crawford, uh, a few others, but Tanner Houck, I believe is in the mix there. You know, they got some different younger guys. Nick Pavetta is going to be a free agent after this season. Last year, he was a swingman, Came out of the rotation some, also started some. Uh, overall, let me find the exact splits there. It was, okay, 16 starts, 38 games, so 22 relief appearances. Now, overall, Nick Pavetta pitched to a 4.04 ERA this past year. That was in 142 and two third innings pitched. Came to the Red Sox in 2020. Uh, spent 2021 and 2022 in their rotation, had a 4.53 ERA and 155 innings in 2021, had a 4.56 ERA in 2022. So a, a fifth starter, basically. But if you look at the pitch data, this guy is really effective. For one, he strikes out a lot of batters. I mean, that's just the first thing you can see. He struck out 31.2% of the batters he faced last year, that's 11.54 strikeouts per nine. Fastball still coming in pretty hard at 94.6 miles per hour. Batters hitch is 214 against it. Then when you look at the whiff percentage that he got on his curveball, sliders, cutter, and his sweeper, all of them were well over 30%. So he's got some nasty stuff. His chase rate last year was in the 89th percentile among all pitchers. His strikeout rate in the 93rd percentile and his whiff percentage in the 75th percentile. Now he got hit really hard though at the same time. Barrel percentage, he was in the bottom 2%. Uh, hard hit percentage, 17th percentile. Average exit velocity, 12th percentile. He's supposed to make, according to Spot Track, $7.5 million in arbitration. So they could shave some money, get a little bit further down where they can maybe sign a Jordan Montgomery, and the Mets could take a flyer on Pavetta. He pitched better out of the bullpen last year, 307 ERA compared to a 466 ERA as a starting pitcher, but it's a change of scenery on a guy that has really good stuff who you just throw into that mix. And I know that's not a sexy ad. That's not going to excite fans just like there's fans who still aren't all about the Adrian Hauser edition, but what it does is it raises the floor of your team more. It gives you more quality MLB innings, and you roll the dice with that. Now, I know no one's going to be thrilled with a starting rotation of Kodai Senga, Jose Quintana, Luis Severino, Nick Pavetta, and Adrian Hauser. No, no one's going to love that. But that's a rotation that at least has five major league caliber starting pitchers. And if Tyler McGill sneaks his way into the rotation, I don't think you can say that. So that's where you would maybe make a trade like this where you're getting a pitcher in Pavetta who, you know, would slide into your rotation and look. If they're dying to get Jansen off their books, and you could get Jansen and Pavetta for essentially just taking on some money. Let's say they eat, you know, half of Kenley Jansen's contract, and so you're basically taking on like 15 million dollars in salary, and you get a guy who's just going to say, "Look, we'll we'll give you some opportunities when we can," but Edwin Diaz is going to pitch in the highest leverage situations. So you got to just be comfortable with it. You do solve a need in your bullpen. You do solve an even an EV rotation and you don't have to give up big prospect capital to make a deal because that's clearing money that they could turn around and sign Jordan Montgomery potentially. I think it's a team you at least have to be on the phone with and see, you know, what they're looking at with some of their pitchers that are going to cost, you know, a decent amount of money. Chris Martin also makes a good chunk of change through arbitration. Um, I believe it's our actually his his might be a normal contract. I have to go back and look. I think his was also at seven and a half million when I was looking over spot track, but the guy was so good last year. I feel like they're going to want to keep him at that number. Like, I don't know why they would trade a guy that had an ERA that was like one last year um, when he could conceivably be their closer. Um, They're going to need some guys to still pitch if they're trying to win a little bit. And so I just don't think that that salary to them. I don't think that's a negative asset. Pavetta's not really a negative asset either, but I think it's an expendable one. And again, if you attached it to Jansen, which I think, in their eyes, with what they're trying to do this offseason, probably is a negative asset. You can you can make some creative trades, but regardless, it's a really interesting team to discuss when it comes to the Red Sox. I think it's one the Mets should be on the phone with. Ultimately, I don't know if a deal would come together for Jansen. To me, that still seems a little far fetched, but something where you know you're taking on Pavetta for them, you know, removing some salary and maybe giving them a prospect that they like, but that's further down at the bottom of your top 30, I think a deal like that could make sense. So uh, let's move on from the Red Sox, though, and go to the other Sox, the White Sox. I'll talk about some players that they have that could be of interest, and that's next. First, though, today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. The NFL regular season is wrapping up, but there's still time to get in on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed When you place a $5 bet, it's $150 in bonus bets, win or lose. The app is so easy to use, and there's just so many different betting options that you can find. You have live same-game parlays. You can find bets in the new Explore tab. You can also make a parlay in the Parlay Hub, which is the best way to find popular parlays and more. That's not just the NFL. You got the NBA season going on right now, so there's always a game where you can find some action if you're betting on you know, an NBA game. You can look at points, rebounds, and assists on your favorite star player. You can combine that with the certain team to win. There's just so many different ways that you can have some fun over at Fanduel. And again, remember, $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you just place a $5 bet. So visit Fanduel.com/slash/lockedon to make your first bet a layup. Fanduel, the official partner of the NFL. If you don't want to miss out on any of the latest Mets news this offseason, make sure you become a Locked On Mets insider. This is our text and service, or I can send you updates anytime on the New York Mets. You can ask me questions anytime. I always try to answer all the questions I get over at Subtext. If you want to join today, you can find the link in the episode description or go to subtext.com slash Locked On Mets. All right, so the Chicago White Sox were another team I landed on that made some sense for the Mets to be on the phone and potentially swing a deal. but this one would more likely be about trading for a bat. As we know, the Mets could use a third baseman. Now, Brett Beatty is right now slated to be the opening day third baseman, and I do believe they want to give him that clear runway to be able to do that. But at the same time, they've been potentially looking at Justin Turner. So you could see a world where the Mets might want a guy that could be their DH, but also could potentially be the starting third baseman if things don't work out on Brett Beatty. And that is where I think the Mets should consider Yon Mankata. Now, this guy is getting paid way too much money next year. I don't even know if it makes sense for the Mets to take on his full salary because the White Sox don't really have anything to kick back in the trade that would really justify the Mets taking on $24 million next season on Mancada. He also has a $25 million option in 2025. He's not a $25 million player anymore. And there is a $5 million buyout attached. So he's basically one year, $29 million. That is a ton of money for a guy who last season played in only 92 games, hit 11 home runs, only had 40 RBIs. He hit 260, had a 305 on base percentage, a 425 slug. His weighted runs creative plus was 98. That means he was a below average hitter. His walk rate has plummeted. You know, in 2021, when he was still at the peak of his powers, he had a walk rate of 13.6%. Last year was 5.6%. So, and also the strikeouts really high as well, 30%. He was not a great player, but let's also look at the injuries. Okay. In 2022, another year where he had a down season, only hit 212, 273 on base, 353 slug. It's a bad year, played 104 games. He had an oblique injury, a quad injury, a hamstring injury, a foot injury, then another hamstring injury. And then this past year, After all those lower leg injuries and stuff, he had back injuries twice, two different aisle stints due to a back injury. So back problems, leg problems, coming off bad years. Now you're already thinking, why would the Mets want this guy? If they ate some money on this, let's just say they ate $10 million, right? You're looking at Yom Mankata at one year, $14 million, $5 million buyout. So essentially one year, $19 million. Which is probably what you'd have to spend on Justin Turner, who might not choose the Mets in free agency. And Justin Turner is what, 38 39? Yo Mancada is 28. He'll turn 29 in May. And there was good baseball not too far back in the rearview mirror. In 2021, Yo Mancada hit 263 at a 375 on base, 412 slug, hit 14 home runs, drove in 61. His WRC plus was 120. So he was 20% better than your league average hitter. Graded out well at third base. He was a four win player that season. That was a couple of years ago. He's still again you know, going to be 29 this season playing in essentially a contract year. There is at least a little bit of room for optimism that he could in a big year for him bounce back in a big way. I still don't even know if I'd buy into it enough where he had a great season where he'd pick up that $25 million club option. He'd have to have a great year. But if he has a good year and you sort of are committed to that, a one-year for him, you take that buyout, it's not going to kill the Mets in any way financially. And he's a guy who could you know, be your DH, try to keep him a little bit healthier. If Beatty doesn't work, you can slide him into third. He's not a great defender, but he's not going to kill you at third base by any stretch. He's probably better defensively than Justin Turner at this point. It's basically sort of reprogramming your mind to think, okay, if you're really in on Justin Turner, who granted coming off a way better offensive season, uh, you know, I think he's definitely a more dependable bat, but this is more of a upside play because when he was at his best, now this is years ago. Um, This is actually before he got his, his current contract, five year, $70 million deal, 2019. With the White Sox, he hit 315, 367 on base, five forty eight slug. He hit twenty five home runs, juiced ball year. Granted, was a five and a half win player. I don't think he's going to hit twenty five bombs, but could Yon Mancada hit fifteen? Could he hit you know two seventy? Maybe walk a little bit more. You know, have a three thirty on base, maybe a four fifty slug, be a one fifteen WRC plus guy, and just be a dependable innings eater that can play some throw that can DH for you. And who knows? Maybe he does enough. If the Mets even aren't in it, he might even do enough where you can flip him at the deadline. I mean, that's the reason why the White Sox would hold on to him. Say, all right, we're going to hold on to him. Try to see if he can recoup some value at the deadline. That's probably what they're thinking and planning on doing. But if they could just clear that money from their books, free up more playing time for their young guys. I think they'd be pretty interested in it. And for the Mets, again, you're taking a flyer. Now, I, I wish that you could get a pitcher back in this deal. That, that's my one issue with it. And the only pitcher that you could take back is Michael Kopech. The only one that would make sense for the White Sox to deal. You're not going to get Dylan Cease for taking on Moncada's money. And Kopech's coming off a bad year, too. 5-4-3 ERA. I spoke about him and Eloy Jimenez, who I want to talk about again in the next segment here, um, in a podcast I did early in the offseason. Uh, in a it would be a real flyer on him as well, betting on just a live arm who's still young enough. He's 27, will turn 28 next year. Two years of control, make a little over $4 million in arbitration. But he's coming off year. He pitched to a 5 3 ERA, walked way too many batters, was not good. He has pitched innings the last two years, 129 and a third this past season, 119 and a third in 2022 at a three five four ERA. But honestly, a guy that you might even want to convert into a reliever. But that's like the best, you know, like additional piece they could throw in with it. I don't even know if you'd want to take them on. But again, if you're the Mets and you're just trying to take some shots, a Moncada Copec deal is something that would be an absolute, you know, financial burden of a risk where it's not going to cost you really anything on prospects. But it's two guys that have talent and who are young enough in a situation where it's a change of scenery where maybe they surprise you but i think in that scenario especially if you're getting copeck i i would shoot a little bit higher on the bat that you get i get a bat that is a little more dependable and that's why i think eloy jimenez is the better fit so i want to break that down in just a minute first though another word from our sponsors <laughs> Now, November 22nd, I had a podcast titled Three Creative Trades That Solved Multiple Needs for the Mets. One of them was trading for Tyler Glass now and Manuel Margot. We've seen the Dodgers make that actual trade this offseason. The other one was trading for Christian Yelich and getting a pitcher back in return. The one I wanted was Devin Williams. I've actually broke that down recently on another podcast uh, at greater length because I really think it would make a lot of sense. And the third trade was Eloy Jimenez and Michael Kopech. Now, that was my least favorite trade then, uh, and I still don't necessarily love it, but I will say it does, in a lot of ways, fit what this offseason has sort of been for the Mets, and that is trying to be opportunistic. Eloy Jimenez, at his best, is a really good hitter. The problem is the dude is always hurt. Massive injury risk. Last year he did play 120 games. That was the second most he's ever played in his career, outside of his rookie season, where he hit 31 home runs. By the way, in 2019, last year he had 18 home runs in 120 games. Batted .272, had a 317 on base, 441 slug. You look at the WRC plus again, measuring hitters on a league average of 100. He was only slightly better than a league average hitter at a 105 WRC plus, but. He also was injured a lot, despite the fact that he's still suited up for 120. When I look back at the injuries, it was like every month there was time missed. Now, not a lot of time, but still, that's hard to really get into a rhythm when you're going down like that. 2022, he only played 84 games, but when he was on the field, he hit 295, had a 358 on base and a 500 slug. So that's an 858 OPS. He had 16 home runs in 84 games. If you just never even try to throw him out in the outfield, you just make him your DH. ACL healthy is obviously. Granted, that is in some ways sort of flipping the bird to Mark Vientos by acquiring a DH like that, but the Mets have interest in J.D. Martinez, which has been reported. Then, in some respects, this still makes some sense. You bring a guy on that is only making $13 million this year, so the cost isn't something that's going to really limit the the White Sox, but you'd probably be given a little bit of a better prospect in this type of a deal. Um, you know, they would be trying to get some value for Eloy. And I think it'd be harder to get him. That's why I let off with Moncada, because Moncada, like you could just call him up and say, hey, we're going to take on some of that money. I think they would be thrilled and rushed to, to make that deal. Eloy, I think... The, the same reason why he is appealing to the Mets is the same reason why the White Sox would be hesitant to make that trade because they can still in their head say, look, it's only 13 million at DH. He's not blocking any of the real, you know, position player prospects that might want to call up at any point that year. And honestly, a lot of those guys might not be ready until after the deadline. So they could say, look, 13 million. He's got a couple club options. If he's having a great year, that's going to make him even more attractive at the deadline and they're just going to probably bet on him to, to go out and show out, and then they could actually get a haul for him. So that's why I just don't know if he's going to be on the table. I think it would, it would cost more to get him, but he's definitely the better bat. Uh, when it comes to the club options, $16.5 million in 2025, $18.5 million in 2026, $3 million buyout on both of those you know, club options. Right now, the White Sox might look at that. All right, it's $16 million. For Jimenez, it's a $16 million gamble with a team that doesn't have too much on their books. I just don't know if he's he's really available. And again, that's why I started with Moncada. I would not love a Yo Moncada trade, but if it costs nothing and you're just taking on salary and you're betting on some upside, I could talk myself into it. I would be actually excited on Jimenez. But really kind of the entire point of this exercise is the options the Mets have are just so few and far between. We're hearing that they have some interest in Gio Urshela. Obviously, Justin Turner, J.D. Martinez have talked about on the show. There is a world where you're just rolling with what you have in-house on the position player front. And, you know, on the rotation, again, I think, and I'll probably do a whole show on it this week, but we really need to start to accept the reality that this is a bridge year for the Mets. It really is. And just try to sort of follow the development stories that'll make the season exciting um, and see how creative David Stearns can get. Because as much as people were sour on that trade that he initially made with the Brewers, just because it's not Corbin Burns, honestly. That was a really good trade. That was a really savvy trade. And if he can be opportunistic in other ways, and I think the deals we talked about today are definitely those type of trades. You know, if the Mets went out this off season and they didn't sign anybody else. And they traded for Nick Pavetta and Yohan Mancada, And that was their off season. Man, fans would hate it, but you know what I look at? Five MLB caliber starters in the rotation. And A much better stopgap than Joey Wendell at third base. So we'll see. And honestly, better than Gio Oshella, too, quite frankly. Regardless, that's going to be all for today's show. Um, Maybe tomorrow we'll do the fact that the Mets are staring down a a bridge here. I might break that down at length for tomorrow's show. If you don't want to miss it, make sure you follow, rate, and review wherever you get your podcast. You're watching on YouTube, trying to make a push to 8,000 subs. So I appreciate all of you with that subscribe button. If you want to be a Locked On Mets insider, you can find that information in the episode description. And that's you made it to end of this show. If you want to check out the first ever 24-7 streaming channel covering everything in the world of sports, tune in to Locked On Sports Today with our local experts from each team and our league-wide experts from each league. Check out Locked On Sports Today streaming 24-7 on YouTube.